Welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly webcast from the Diocese of Birmingham in which we engage with Catholic leaders to explore how we can live our life in Christ faithfully and with joy. I'm Dr. David Anders, Director of Education and Lifelong Formation for the Diocese, and I'm speaking today with Marie Jose Bonilla, Director of Hispanic Ministry for the Diocese of Birmingham, about the work of her office this year, Year of the Parish and the Eucharist, and how we can share ideas for cross-cultural ministry and celebrations. Marie Jose, welcome to Living Catholic. Thank you so much. I am so excited to have you here today. Me too. Because you're an awful fun person, and you have tons of neat stuff to tell us about ministry in our diocese and elsewhere. You've got a great personal story, and you're just on fire with enthusiasm for the work you do. You, you know it's important, you believe it's important, and you love it, and you love the people you work with. So I'm so glad you're here. I am glad for this opportunity. And yes, I do love the work that I do. And yes, I love the people that I work for. And um, it's just a mission. I'm a disciple like, you know, like yourself and everyone that's part of this wonderful project. And I'm just so blessed to be part of the Diocese of Birmingham. Well, we're blessed to have you yes. here. So when we, to get started, a lot of people know you, some people don't know you. So how about tell us about yourself and how you got into this work? Sure. So who is Maria Jose? Yes. Um, I am originally from Nicaragua, uh -huh. Central America. I'm one of five daughters. I'm number four. I grew up, you know, knowing that I was number four. My mother would always say, okay, she's number four. <laughs> I am, um, I, my parents are um, very committed Catholics. And we moved to um, the United States, my sisters and I first, when I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And then my parents um, followed us a year later, and we settled in New Orleans. So I, yes, I am originally from Nicaragua, but I'm also a New Orleanian. That's yes. where I was raised most of my life. I went to Catholic school there. I went to college there. I worked, and I began my ministry um, as a disciple of Christ in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. I am now married to a wonderful husband, um, Guillermo, like you mentioned. Guillermo is from Honduras. And um, I always say that he is St. Joseph's first cousin. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I prayed to marry a man like St. Joseph, and I married Guillermo, who is like his first cousin. And together we have a beautiful daughter, Ana Maria, who just turned eight on June 8th. This was her golden birthday. And Ana Maria is a gift from heaven. Um, we, are, we became parents through the gift of adoption. And so uh, we are blessed to be parents, and um, not just parents, but we're Ana Maria's parents. What a beautiful story. You know, I, uh, New Orleans has a special place in my life because I met my wife in New Orleans. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And uh, I was not Catholic at the time, right? I, was, I hadn't become Catholic for several years before, after that. But um, I also went to, I think, the first Mass I ever voluntarily, like, I wasn't there for some function, but, like, sure. I chose to go to a Mass was at the campus chapel, campus church at Loyola. Beautiful. And I went to Tulane, but yes. I remember going to that mass and having no clue what I was looking <laughs> at, not a clue on the planet. Yes. So, all right, so how did you end up in, in Hispanic ministry in the Diocese of Birmingham? What's that story? That's, that's a good story. Well, I first, in New Orleans, so I went to school. Um, I graduated from LSU Medical Center in um, rehabilitation counseling, and I worked and um, in that profession for five to six years. But ever since I was 16, I, um, I became a volunteer with the Mensaje Ministry, um, who was founded by um, Archbishop Hannon and Padre Pedro Nunez, Father Pedro Nunez, who's very well known. He is, um, has been a host of a TV and radio show at EWTN for many, many years. Um, he was the director of Mensaje. So there was a, a fundraiser, the Mensaje Festival in New Orleans. 
and it just became the annual event to go to. And so ever since I was 16, I became a volunteer with the Mensaje Festival. Little did I know that that was going to be um, the route that God had for me to at some point um, join, you know, full-time ministry. So what was Mensaje about? Mensaje, it was the Office of Communications for the Diocese of, for the Archdiocese of New Orleans, mm -hmm. but for Hispanic ministry. Okay. And so um, the mission was to evangelize through radio and TV and print. Mm -hmm. So every year they would do the Mensaje Festival, which was food, music, and all the funding would go towards the Mensaje Festival, I mean, to the Mensaje Ministry. Later on, so I was just a volunteer every year, and I would take, you know, different roles. You're selling volunteer. tickets and stuff I like that. I started actually selling tickets, yes. Uh -huh, okay. Um, to one point, he, Father um, Pedro yeah. said, Maria Jose, I need you to be the um, charge of entertainment, and you need to book all the talent, and you need to do this. And I was like, wait, I've, I've never done this before, Father. You can do it, Maria Jose. You can do it. And with that, I paused because Father Nunez has always pushed me. A lot of the things that I do now and all the transferable skills I say that I have in ministry began from Padre Pedro's crazy idea to tell me, you can do this. And I'll give you an example. When I graduated from you know, LSU Medical Center, I'm working, um, and then I turned 30, and I said, you know, I'm going to change jobs for temporarily. Mm. You know, it was, um, I worked in an inpatient rehab unit, and it was just, you know, a lot of, um, you know, emotional problems and psychological problems. And so I was being transferred to another hospital. And in that transfer, the first radio and um, bilingual station, radio station and, and newspaper station in New Orleans opened up. And somebody came to me and said, Maria Jose, you would be great at this. Come on, let's do radio and TV and everything and, and print. And I was said, that a Catholic agency or no, a secular agency? No, okay. no, a secular agency. So I was like, you know what? I'm 30. I can break from my you know, job, and I can do this. My parents were like, mm, you're doing what? No, we paid for your education. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go back to what you were doing, right? And I said, this is just temporary, and I did. So I went to work for La, ba La Fabulosa. That was the name of the radio station. And I started selling advertisement with them and, um, and just knocking on people's doors. But I parallelly, I would, I would still do the Mensaje Festival every year, right? Mm -hmm. So then they said, you know what? So you had two streams so in, I had the, two in, the, in the media business. Media business, but it was just the worldly you know, part of it. Yeah. And then Padre Pedro was always like, come on, you got to, you know, come this way. And when I was working for La Fabulosa, he reached out to me and said, Maria Jose Mensaje needs you. Hmm. God needs you. He said, I need someone to come full time. And work with, you know, with Mensaje, because he was a pastor. Um, he was just, just very busy doing his, his work at the parish. And he said, Mensaje needs someone like you. Hmm. My first response was like, not me. Why me? You know, because at that time, David, I was loving my job. I was making good money. It was easy. But I was, you know, being attracted by the worldly thing. You know, the concerts, the music, radio. Um, I would go to all these, you know, places. And God just knew that Maria Jose needed to get back to her mission. And so, long story short, after many no's that I told Father you know, Pedro, no, 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 um, I prayed over it. My parents said, you know, Maria Jose, you're not just telling Father Pedro no. Maybe this is God inviting you to do this. Mom and Dad had Mom changed and their Dad, at this, yes, at this had point. a lot of wisdom. Yeah. And I said, well, I can't. 
say no to God. So I said, okay. I said, Father, you know what? I will accept this position for one year. And I said, after one year, in my mind, I'm thinking, after one year, I'm done with this, and I can go back to my worldly job and, you know, live my life. Well, that year became my whole life mm. <laughs> because I have, that was the first time that I was not doing the festival part of it. I was part of the Mensahe ministry, mm-hmm. and I got to see the power of evangelization through mass media, how people would call. You know, they have just seen a TV show where Padre Pedro was talking about, you know, your life is worth it. And I had a guy call and said, look, I just want to, you know, thank Father Pedro because I was about to commit suicide and Mm. I thought I was not worthy. And, you know, it was through that TV program that God touched me and I'm so glad I didn't kill myself. Wow. And so, and then I remember thinking, wow, this is real. There's so many people out there that don't know about God's love and don't know that, you know, that, that the church is here for them. And so I just started taking my own personal journey in my own personal conversion. And I said, Maria Jose, you need to also mature in your faith. And so I, that's where I started. And um, I remember traveling with him. They w- he would do an annual pilgrimage to um, the Holy Land. And I remember going there, and it was at one point where just I just had that aha moment where I knew that Jesus was calling me to leave the world behind and just follow him. And it was through, um, you know, mass media at that time, through evangelization programs, and through my own search of what was my purpose and my mission. And so that's how I started in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And I worked um, there for 12 years, um, most of the time with Mensaje, and then Katrina hit, right? And that was another big change in my life because once Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005, the demographics, I mean, everything changed, obviously, in New Orleans. And so there was a big need to do outreach um, to the Hispanic community, not only the ones that were affected by the hurricane, but also to the growing Hispanic community that overnight showed up in New Orleans, you know, the day laborers that wanted to help rebuild the city. And so at that time, I was um, offered a position with Catholic Charities, and um, Father Pedro said, you know, go ahead and do it. This is what God is calling you to do. So I became the um, um, communications liaison for Catholic Charities for Hispanic Ministry. Let me stop you for one mm-hmm. second. Because as I'm sitting here listening yes. to your story, it strikes me that there's something about your own personal narrative that is kind of paradigmatic for all Catholic ministry and all Catholic vocation, right? Namely, uh, you really credit Father Pedro. Right, as being a pivotal figure in your life. Your your Catholic walk in life and ministry begins in a certain respect in a relationship with a mentor figure, someone who was an evangelizer, who reached out to you as a human being, not as a statistic, but as a human being Mm -hmm. and cultivated a relationship of love but also responsibility and encouragement with you. And that person made an invitation to you to get involved. And your own level of engagement at that point was – Probably not that you hadn't interiorized that call perfectly, right? You were responding to a relationship with a human being, and you said, well, okay, but I'll give it a year, and it's really not my highest priority, (laughs) and I'm doing this because you asked. And and then in the process, you then had an opportunity for a a deepening of your vocation 
through a kind of reconversion to your mission and to your identity in Christ. And that, sure. For you, that had to do with a Holy Land pilgrimage. Now, you know, a lot of young people have a similar story where they may be called to a ministry in the church or to a youth group or a prayer group because mm -hmm. someone's invited them. And then on a retreat or on some sort of getaway, they have an occasion for a deepening encounter, and then they really own the ministry and the identity. Your life exemplifies some of the best principles of one-on-one -on -one discipleship ministry. Right, and, and, and that encounter and, ha and providing an opportunity of encounter uh, because, yes, I was part of youth group. I would, you know, on and off prior to that, that incident or going to work, you know, full-time with Mensaje, I was engaged in the church because, again, I come from a very committed Catholic mm -hmm. family, and um, youth group was very important in my life. But it was a very immature process for me. It wasn't until I was, you know, older that I had that, that mature conversion. And it's when I got to see that it wasn't just about me. It was about... Um, you know, like I remember telling Father Pedro one day, I just paused and I said, Father, we're in the soul saving business. Like I was coming from corporate <coughs> world. I was coming from selling advertisement and selling all kinds of things and, uh, you know, from rehab counseling and all that. And it dawned on me at one point, I said, oh my goodness. I said, we're in the soul saving business. And he looked at me and he said, yes, we are. And that was just like, whoa, because, you know, that's, that's the best business to be in, yeah. you know, but the most challenging because so many souls don't know Christ, don't know Christ's love. And that was what pushed me to persevere and continue. And then as you kept going in your vocation, you know, you had, you, ha you were oriented towards evangelism, but that at some point you also had a recognition that there is a social component. There's the, there's the, there's the soul, but there's, there's a body that that soul is in yes. that also is the subject of Catholic ministry and outreach. And so your, your move to Catholic Charities is not an abandonment of the vocation to evangelism. Mm -hmm. It's a deepening of what it means to be an evangelizer and to care for the person, right? Yes, and it was an opportunity for me to experience that other side of our church, you know, um, because there was so much need that came following Hurricane Katrina, um, social need, spiritual need. And so I got to, to experience that and also – is, it was an opportunity to collaborate with so many other ministries and organizations that were uh, in New Orleans, you know, right after the hurricane to help. And I became that advocate through my role <coughs> with Catholic Charities to when we were at a table, I got to sit at the table where plans were being made as to, you know, what assistance was going to be given to all. And I would be the one to say, okay, what about the Hispanic community? You know, what about the day labels? What about, and they're like, oh, yes, yes. You know, can we translate that flyer? You know, if we want to, what about Hispanics? And so I got to see that the gift of collaboration in in a moment of desperation and need for all, you know, when Hurricane Katrina hit, I mean, it, it hit everyone. It affected all of us. It didn't matter what race you were, you know, what language you spoke. We were all in need. And so it was beautiful to come together at a table not only with Catholic organizations, but with non-Catholic organizations, everybody that came to help. And my role was just to um, be at the table to be an advocate for the needs of Hispanics. And so that also enhanced my, um, my formation. I got to see also, like you said, not only the spiritual need, but the social need. 
you know, we last week we had an opportunity to interview Sister Gabby. Yes. And she made a very similar point about many people in the Hispanic community uh, are at a disadvantage socially, economically, and they may not feel like they have a voice and they don't have anybody to speak for them. Mm. And they may be, even in, not even just in the church, but in civil society, government programs and stuff, if somebody doesn't step up to the plate and draw attention to this population, they may be overlooked mm -hmm. as resources are being distributed. So, I mean, in your mind, does that, does that continue to be a major priority of someone who's involved in this work in the diocese to make sure that a, that mem a community who may not always be represented, may not always have a voice, has a voice? Um, has a voice and is acknowledged. Yeah. Acknowledged and embraced. Yes. Sure. It's a big part of what we do. So then um, you're in New Orleans. How did you end up in Huntsville? Because <laughs> now Huntsville, Holy Spirit Church in Huntsville is your home parish. That's my home parish, and that's yes. your base of operations. Even a, you have a very long commute to work in the diocese Yes, here, yes, So yes. how did you end up there? So that's interesting because um, it was years later, and um, my husband, Guillermo, is a construction engineer. Mm -hmm. He worked for Turner International, and they had a project in New Orleans. And so he was one of the engineers assigned um, to go to New Orleans. And when he was there, uh, one of the first things that he did was to look for a um, a church parish to go to. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, that was his present. That was his gift, you know, <laughs> to find his wife. But I love the fact that he knew he was going to New Orleans. He's a young man, you know, young professional. He's going to be for two there for two years. And one of the first things he did was, you know, he wanted to find a home parish. And he's an engineer but also a musician. So he went to um, a parish in, in the area where I was and said, you know, I want to help. I play the piano. I play the cello. How can I help? And so he got engaged and, um, and started serving. And so at that parish, there was a retreat going on. I'd, at that time, I was part of an evangelization school. And we were having a retreat just for, like, the core team, right? It wasn't an open retreat. And, you know, um, Guillermo had gone to his new parish there and saw a flyer for a retreat, shows up at our retreat, okay, on the wrong date. So it's a mistake. It's a mistake, right? And it was a close retreat. Like I said, it was just for our core team. Um, I wasn't there at the time. Um, I had not gotten to the retreat yet. And so he shows up, and they tell him, no, you know, this retreat is next weekend or whatever. It's the wrong retreat. But the guy that was, like, you know, signing people up, and he said, you know what, but you're welcome to stay, you know, if you want to. And he's like, okay. So he stayed. And later at the retreat, I, I was there, and I remember when I first saw him, it wasn't the, <gasps> you know, oh, my goodness, he's my husband. I, you know, no. I remember thinking, who is that guy? Like, he's not part of our community. Mm -hmm. I, I recognize that. And it was beautiful because during that retreat, we were all sharing, and I shared an experience that I had lived with my community and how I was feeling. And I was very honest about how I was feeling. And so after I shared that, he approached me and he said, thank you for being honest. And he said, thank you for sharing what you said because I've been where you are. And I remember thinking, who are you, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's, and then he introduced himself and he said, you know, I'm gonna be here for two years. And and he goes, EWTN, um, the people at EWTN told me to look for Father Pedro and so that I can also serve in the ministry. And they mentioned your name. If you can't treat, find Father Pedro, look for Maria Jose. Oh, and, wow. And so we just connected as friends, as friends, mm -hmm. really. And um, Father Pedro has, still does, a live radio show on EWTN. And I would be his replacement when he would travel. And during the time that I had just met Guillermo, it was, you know, Father Pedro was, was traveling, so I was hosting his show. 
And the guest that I had on that day canceled. And Guillermo called randomly. And I'm like, what are you doing at 7 o'clock tonight? And I said, we have this radio show. Do you want to be on it? And he's like, yes. And he just put together the whole show, like the topics and everything. And I remember, David, we were live on EWTN radio. And I introduced Guillermo, as I said, and I want to introduce Guillermo Bonilla, this angel that God had sent to my life. (laughs) 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 Little did I know that he was going to be my husband. And, you know, you know, that's uh, just how God operates. Know, I got to ask, did, did, did Father Pedro marry you? Father Pedro married me, yes. That's beautiful. We got engaged in New Orleans. We got married. And that is where the big question was. Like, so we're moving to Huntsville. And I remember thinking, where is Huntsville? Where is Huntsville? You know, <laughs> I've never been to Huntsville. And through a lot of discernment and prayer and um, obedience, going against my will, but God's will, because my will was to stay in New Orleans mm-hmm. and for Guillermo to move to New Orleans, mm-hmm. right? That sounded oh, yeah. great, right? You know, and he had even considered it. Um, but then we knew that it was time for us to move. So that's how I get to Huntsville. And that's how I go start because go- Guillermo's parish was Holy Spirit, you know, years before he even met me. And he was already in the choir there. And so I moved to Huntsville as Guillermo's wife. And everybody was like, who are you? Because, you know, they love Guillermo, right? But they, did, they embraced me, and I started volunteering first at Holy Spirit. And, um, and one day, Father Mike McMahon, who's the current pastor there, said, Maria Jose, the Hispanic community at Holy Spirit is growing, and I don't know what to do. Hmm. Um, he's like, would you consider coming on board, and um, we'll create a position of Hispanic ministry coordinator, and you can help me. And I took the job. Hmm. That's how I started. And how long were you there before you got the call to come <laughs> to the diocese? Yes, right. So I was there um, about eight years, seven or se- probably seven to eight years, and um, then I got a call from Bishop Baker. The position of director of Hispanic ministry um, was open, and he asked if I was willing to consider taking it. My first response was, Bishop, I live in Huntsville. I don't think I can do this. Um, and after, you know, talking in prayer, I realized, I said, but Bishop, I said, if you really want someone to work with Hispanic ministry, um, I don't think you need someone to be in the office 40 hours a week. That's right. I said, I'm willing to accept the position, but allow me to live in Huntsville, and I can travel to parishes and serve from Huntsville because that's where my husband's job is. And he at that time said yes, and that's how it became. I accepted the position, and um, and I still help at Holy Spirit, but um, my role there, you know, we have other people that have been hired since I took on this position, and so it's a team effort. So I want to get into the diocesan work, but but before I do, you've got many years of parish work in Hispanic ministry in a large, culturally mixed parish that has an Anglo population and Hispanic mm-hmm. population. What is it like coordinating Hispanic ministry in that kind of environment? Well, I always say, you know, and this this I want to say to all, everyone that's listening today, especially here in, in our in our diocese, David, we have yes a very diverse um, his population in our diocese. Serving Hispanic ministry should not be different than serving, you know, any community, mm-hmm. right? Because we have the same mission, and it's the mission that um, Jesus Himself gave to the apostles and gave us gave it to us, that we all need to go out, right, 
and evangelize and make all, you know, um, his disciples. And so the mission is the same. Mm -hmm. That doesn't change. It doesn't matter who you're serving. I think there's certain aspects of serving Hispanics that different. And I'll give you an example, you know. I think as a community, as a whole, in our diocese, we will find people in our parishes, you know, that will have certain needs. For instance, there's people that have social needs. There's people that have spiritual needs. Uh, there are people who um, have not encountered with Christ. So all of that is the same for our Hispanic brothers and sisters. The difference is when they don't speak the language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where, or they want to come to worship God the way that they worship at home. Mm -hmm. And it's in a different language. And that is where we have to meet them where they are. Right. Um, you know, that is where we become one in solidarity. And so serving Hispanics in our diocese, I think one of the things that I, that I want to bring um, to our listeners is, first of all, let's acknowledge that we have a large Hispanic community in our diocese. Let's acknowledge that, you know, we have almost over 150,000 Hispanics in the Diocese of Birmingham. We have 28 parishes who currently celebrate Spanish Mass or have some type of Hispanic ministry at their parish. Um, let's acknowledge that 93% of Hispanics in the U.S. are under the age of 18, under the age of 18 are U.S. born. Um, Let's acknowledge that 60% of all Catholics in the U.S. are under the age of 18. So we have a vibrant, young, Catholic, Hispanic community, not only here in our diocese, but also in the U.S. I want to say that again. 150,000 Hispanic people in the Diocese of Birmingham. That's Catholics and non-Catholics. And, and that's being conservative. Yes, that's Catholic. Yeah, okay. and That was from our, la our last census. So 28, 28 of our parishes currently have some form of Hispanic ministry of mass. Mm -hmm. Of, the, of uh, the Hispanics in the U.S. under age 18, 93% of them are U.S. born? Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, 93% of Hispanics in the U.S. under 18 are U.S. Are born. Are U.S. born, mm -hmm. okay. And uh, that kind of goes against some stereotypes, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, okay. And um, and and sixty percent of the Catholics in, in the, the country mm -hmm. are under eighteen, and I bet you a heavy percentage of those are Hispanic. Well, yes. Well, sixty percent of all Catholics in the U.S. under the age of eighteen are Hispanic. Oh, is that okay? Okay, yes. I missed that. So, of the yes, the Catholic population under eighteen, sixty percent of them are, are Hispanics. Hispanic. Okay. So I think that acknowledging that um, that we're here to stay, we're not just visiting. So if you have Hispanic in your parishes, embrace them as your own. Um, They're going to be your priests and deacons and sisters and teachers and catechists and DREs uh, and lectors and ushers and altar servers. Et cetera, et cetera, yes. et cetera. But unfortunately, sometimes we have that um, mentality of treating them as visitors, as foreigners, like they're borrowing our um, – you know, parish hall centers. They are here to borrow our churches. You know, it's like they don't own it. They, we just, we're just going to lend it to them, you know. And when we have that mentality of them and us, and we don't embrace them as they're part of our church, they're a big part of our church, um, that is when we cause division. And I, one thing that I would love for our um, parish catechetical leaders, priests, deacons, 
volunteers, and people that go to our churches here in our um, diocese is to change that mentality of looking at Hispan the Hispanic populations as they're here to take away. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest gift that the Hispanic community have in our in our church in the United States and obviously here in our Diocese of Birmingham, you know, obviously they have devotions, they have their culture, but the biggest treasure that we can find is the people, el pueblo, you know, the men and women, their children that are in our pews, that come to mass, that are in our religious education programs, that are in the the choirs, that are serving already, you know, we have to treasure that because they're the ones that can help help pass on the faith and they're the ones that can help build our parishes and make our parishes stronger Um, but sometimes they're not given that opportunity because and I get it I understand that diversity sometimes causes division because of the fear of the unknown but I think we need to acknowledge them first then we need to embrace them they're here and they're here to stay and they're here and they're bringing gifts to the table they're our brothers and sisters Let's embrace them and enjoy them. I think a lot of the frustration that happened in our parishes, especially when they, you know, become multicultural and they were never multicultural before, you were used to having, you know, the same families, the same servers, um, the same people that you know, and all of a sudden, you know, it's multicultural and you have a large Hispanic population coming into your turf. It's like, okay, well, you're different. Either you want to resist them and you know reject them or you embrace them but you want to put them all in the same box okay this is my box and this is how we have done religious education for years and this is how we do you know um rcia and Mar- whatever it is and we're just gonna okay you're new you're gonna come into this box and the frustration is when they don't fit in that box and then all of a sudden you have dres you have secretaries you even have priests that they're like, I don't know what to do. They become a problem. They become a burden. And they want them to go away. You see? Mm-hmm. And I think the sense of, you know, do they just, and they're not going away. Unfortunately, some of them are. You know, some of them are going away because they don't feel welcome. But I, you know, I would like to share with, with our audience, you know, if we really are true disciples and we really are God's children, which we are, you know, our mentality in our parishes has to change, you know, from the them and us to this is us, all of us, you know, the different two, colors. Two saints came to my mind while you were talking. One was, I think, isn't it St. Lawrence the deacon who was confronted by the Roman emperor and said, I demand that you bring me the treasure of the church. And he had in mind silver and gold. And Lawrence goes and gathers the poor and brings them to the to the emperor and says, here are the treasures of the church. Uh-huh. And you, n- not that everybody in the Hispanic community is poor, although many of them yes. you know, have, have those struggles. But when you're talking about, look, they are not a problem. They're, they're the treasure, right? They are the treasure of the church. And, and you have to be able to shift of mindset. And the other one was uh, St. Philip Neri, who if I know his story. You know, he went to Rome with one conception of Christian ministry. I got to be a Jesuit. Mm-hmm. I got to go on mission. I got to meet St. Ignatius. You know, I got to do this. I got to do that. And he kept having the door slammed in his face. And every every frustrated ambition that he ran into, 
turned into an opportunity for him to develop a completely different ministry that brought him to sanctity and many other souls as well. Yes. And he totally wasn't open to that. Yes. You know, but but uh, God had other plans, and by slamming one door in his face and creating a problem for him, he actually created a tremendous opportunity for holiness. And I think the word opportunity is big, and I know I've heard um, Bishop Reka speak about that, about, you know, how we have opportunity, instead of looking at the um, the negative part of things, the challenges, let's look at the opportunities. And we, as a Diocese of Birmingham right now, have a huge opportunity to embrace our um, growing Hispanic community. David, we have parishes in our diocese that are like 90% Hispanic, but they're still considered a minority. They're treated as minority, right? But they make 90% <laughs> of the parish. But that mentality of because they're Hispanics, they're minority. And so I, I just would like to invite people that are, are, are listening to this program and people that are on the forefront at parishes. First of all, I want to say to them, I know it's not easy. I know that it's not easy to, um, you know, to change the ways that you have been doing your ministry, you know, for many years. When you have a Hispanic community that, that pops up all of a sudden and just continues to grow, I understand how you feel. Um, and so, but instead of staying focused on the, I cannot do this, mm -hmm. go away, they're taking over, this is my church, it's them and us, I think it's an opportunity to accept, acknowledge, and kind of say, okay, well, they're part of my community. What can I do to cultivate, you know, a spirit of unity? What can I do? to embrace them and see them as brothers and sisters in Christ because we have one common denominator um, and that is not just with Hispanics, with all. We're all God's children. And in the U.S., right, it's known, the United States is known as the melting pot because historically this land, right, has, is full of immigrants from many years. And who is an immigrant? An immigrant is someone that has to leave his home, his country, her country. Like the Holy Family did. Like the Holy Family did, right? There's always something that pushes you out of your country. And for many people is, you know, economic need, a war, you know, different things. So that's what pushes you. But if you would ask any immigrant if they had a choice to stay in their home country or to leave, I would guarantee you that they would say, I would much rather stay at home hmm. and that's a reality it is a heroic decision to just like saint joseph did to bring mary and jesus you know when they had to leave right and go to egypt i'm sure it wasn't easy but he had to do that to protect his family that's what a lot of immigrants have to do especially our young men that leave their home because their families back home are starving and so they choose to leave everything behind so that they can come here, work, and provide for the family at home. So I think we need to understand. And then go back to your own history. I guarantee that the majority of people, U.S. born in here in the United States, have someone in their you know, family, grandfather, great-grandfather, who came to the United States as an immigrant, Italian, Irish, from Poland, you know, from Mexico. So I think understanding that 
um, should give us a sense of compassion mm -hmm. and empathy, right? So if immigrants are here, they're pushed, it's, it's a tough decision. What pulls them to the United States in this case is an opportunity to provide for their families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think that um, understanding that, and that is where when you build relationship with your brothers and sisters that are in your parish, and you don't stereotype them, and you don't see them as them and us, when you take an opportunity to sit at the same table, you realize they're human like me, you know? They also have a family, they have beautiful children, and that is where the change of heart comes. But we have to make that effort and open our minds. I really appreciate your saying that, because, you know, obviously, you know, in some of the propaganda and some of the discourse, one might be left with the impression or the character caricature well, this is a parasitic population. Mm -hmm. That's the way it's sometimes characterized yeah. in political discourse. Yeah. And to remind yourself that, uh, no, it's very often a victim population. And like that's the point you make about having been pushed away. Mm -hmm. This is not a choice that's, that's it's not top of their agenda. You know, for many right. people, this is a necessity. They would rather not be forced to. Sure, sure. And uh, the goal is not is not to take advantage of or exploit, but to provide and to create something of value. Um, that's a that's a totally different perspective than than sometimes the way it's presented. Especially in the church, as a church community, I know that there's political differences. I'm you know I'm not gonna go into you know political things here, but I think as a Catholic church, our mission, you know. Um, that God, that Jesus himself gave us to go and um, go out and spread the gospel to all. You know, when an immigrant leaves his or her home, one of the first places that they go to and they find a Catholic church, that is the common denominator. You that's know, right. that is what unites us because that's why our church is universal. You can't, because that is the connection to home. So they're looking for a place to worship a place because they connect with their root, with their spirituality. And so they're coming to our parishes looking for that home. And so the question is, how am I receiving them in, in our home, in our parishes? Are we feeling, are, are we welcoming them with that same spirit, you know, or you know, are we not? You just brought to my mind in the 1930s, obviously there was an ideology emerging in Germany of uh, of nationalism and of really m making the church conform to an ideology of nationalism. And Pius XI wrote an encyclical, I think it's the only encyclical ever published in German, specifically repudiating a nationalistic conception of the church. And his argument was the church is Catholic, it's universal, and encompasses all people, and this is the common denominator among Christians across civilizations and societies. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, it's not like we haven't spoken on this issue time and time again at the theological level, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, uh, I want to ask you one other question and then get, and then get uh, your information on upcoming events or opportunities sure. in the diocese. So, you've, you did similar work in New Orleans for quite a while, right? Yes. And you've got a perspective mm -hmm. on what other dioceses are doing. And, of course, they, New Orleans has a, a probably a larger Hispanic population and they've got more resources and they have... And uh, they're more Catholic. They have more Catholic, <laughs> and they have, and they have, uh, and they have uh, Father Pedro, of course, you know, who has retired. So, right. So we don't, you know, I know we're comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. But how does your experience in working in more than one diocese 
how can you bring that to bear to enrich maybe what we're doing here? I think uh, it was a learning experience for me. You know, no one is really, um, you don't realize what you have until you lose it. Uh -huh. You know, obviously the Archdiocese of New Orleans is um, largely Catholic, mm -hmm. you know, and so very, you know, more resources. And so when I moved here, first of all, it was a wake-up call to see that, you know, to see so many non-Catholic churches. I had never seen that in my life. I was oh used wow. to seeing Catholic churches all over the place in New Orleans, in every corner. And that was like, okay, we're only a, a, a small part of the population here is Catholic. Um, the Hispanic population in New Orleans, largely the largest population in New Orleans is from Honduras, Honduras. Um, Post-Katrina, we did have a growth of um, Hispanic, I mean Mexican brothers and sisters. Whereas here, the majority of our Hispanics are from Mexico and Guatemala. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was new for me mm -hmm. to work with, with the, um, the Mexican population, which brings me to a good topic, too. There's not just one Hispanic community. Yeah, that's right. You know, there are <laughs> subcultures within our culture. We cannot put every Hispanic in the same box. Right. You know, I'm from Nicaragua. Guillermo's from Honduras. Uh, you know, there's people from Mexico. At Holy Spirit, we have a large Puerto Rican population. Uh, we have a Honduran population that's growing. And I think that understanding that the Hispanic population is not just one or that it's just Mexican because people also, I've had people that ask me, oh, do you speak Mexican? Huh. Mexican's not huh. even a language, you know? And so I think... Opening our sense to, you know, Hispanic, when we talk about Hispanics or Latinos, is a broader population. Yes. I believe there are more than 25 countries that make up Latin America that we have Latinos that have come to the U.S. too. So don't stereotype. Um, and so that's been one of the, the you asked me the differences. That Just that part. Other than that, you know, and this is a mission diocese. Yes. The Archdiocese of New Orleans was not. Mm -hmm. um, Geographically, we're more dispersed. Um, the, the parishes that we have serving excuse me, Hispanics, we have to travel to them. The rural areas, I think that's also one of the things that I have embraced. And I take this time to thank our priests, deacons, and lay people that are serving in um, small parishes, rural parishes in our diocese. You know, it's tough. It's tough. Um, you know, I think of Good Shepherd in Russellville. You know, that is like 90% or 95% Hispanic now. The industry that brought them there is the chicken farms. Mm -hmm. The people that are there that are members of Good Shepherd, most of them, you know, work in these chicken farms in horrendous environments, you know. Um, and it's difficult. You know, they're not the top educated people. They're not, but they're the most beautiful, humble people with beautiful heart. And right now, they're helping Father Vincent build their new church, you know, selling tacos, selling pupusas, selling, they're building that church um, as a community. And so I think that, you know, the diversity in our diocese, the, um, the different economic status too, you know, like in Huntsville, uh, we have a lot of engineers. We have a, a, a large population of Hispanics that are professionals mm -hmm. there that are there, that work for NASA, that work for the Redstone Arsenal, you know, so it's mixed. So I think when you think of Hispanic ministry in our diocese, being a mission diocese, I want to encourage the big parishes, you know, here in Birmingham, Jefferson County, 
that have large parishes, lots of funding, if you want to schedule a mission trip with your youth, you don't need to go to Africa. Right. You don't need to. You just need to go to go to Russellville. Yes. You know, go to Yonianta, go to um, Alberville, and get a taste of what our church is doing with our immigrants. You know, you can do mission within our mission diocese. Okay, so only have a few minutes left. What are the upcoming events or opportunities in our diocese or from your office that you want to let people know about? Yes, um, we have recently, and I want to mention um, the need to accompany our youth. I, I gave you the statistics of, you know, 93% of Hispanics in the U.S. are under 18. We have a young, vibrant. So we hired um, Chris, Crystal Castillo. She's our Hispanic Youth Coordinator. And an opportunity is for any parish that would like to learn more about how to um, accompany Hispanic youth, especially young adults, please contact our office, speak with Chris Castillo, and um, she already has helped um, parishes start young adult, Hispanic young adult groups. Uh, we really want to accompany our youth. Then tomorrow is the Feast of the Sacred Heart, and our office, the Hispanic Ministry Office, is um, hosting a prayer vigil at the, uh, the Cathedral of St. Paul here in Birmingham. Bishop Reka will celebrate Mass at 7 p.m. Um, it's going to be a um, Spanish Mass. Some of the readings will be in English. The prayer vigil's intention this year is to pray for the unknown. I mean, I'm sorry, for the unborn mm -hmm. and also for our immigrant and refugee population. That is tomorrow, Friday at 7 p.m. at the Cathedral of St. Paul. Uh, the Mass will be at 7, and then we will have adoration until midnight. Um, we have a women's um, retreat on July 24th is a diocesan women's retreat. We had a men's retreat on May 1st. That's coming up. Where is that going to be? That's going to be at the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm -hmm. Do people need to register? Um, yes, we will have it on our website, the Hispanic Ministry um, okay. Facebook page as well. Then um, in September, um, we will have a our annual diocesan um, mission day, and Bishop Reka will be with us. And it will be held at St. Francis Xavier this year. And in October, October 16th, we're having a pro-life Hispanic conference. And Where's that? And that's going to be at the Shrine, too. Okay. Yes. And we're collaborating with your office mm -hmm. um, for the Eucharistic Youth Congress on right. October 2nd. And um, Do we have a speaker for that, for that pro-life conference yet? Uh, I know Father Victor Salomon, Mari Pablo, and we're having other speakers coming on board as we speak. But yes, so if you want to know more about, uh, you know, our events, I invite you to visit um, the Hispanic Ministry page in our diocese. We post our events there. Also follow us on Facebook. Um, we have Hispanic Ministry Diocese of Birmingham, Ministerio Hispano. Or always call us. We're here to serve. Ray Jose, that's fantastic. <laughs> you love what you do. I You're love You're an inspiration. You got a lot going on. Yes. We, we so much appreciate you. Thank you for teaching us and befriending us and accompanying us. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, yes. listen, thanks for joining us today on Living Catholic. In our next episode, I'll speak with Ian Hickman of the Del Rey Collective about how to reach out in friendship to share the gospel with our neighbors. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on YouTube or using your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or a review. Finally, please recommend us to friends and family. We'd love to continue speaking with you in this special year focused on encountering Christ in our parish and in the Eucharist.